Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. It's a warm, breezy, slightly overcast May afternoon and I'm in the village of Shap with author, illustrator and our host for today's conversation, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello, David. Well, it's a township. Uh, a famous township with so much history that few villages can rival it. Shap was the centre of a great array of standing stones, avenues and so forth. It had quarrying and agriculture and today remains a significant place and a fabulous place to come to any day. And of course this is somewhere we've been to before, Mark. Oh yeah, we came here with Alan Cleaver. We followed the postman's path, which was fascinating, down by Shap Abbey into Swindale. And we had the company of Gene Scott Smith on that occasion, so as well as Alan. A lovely expedition. You've mentioned Jean Scott Smith. Uh, she was a great source of local knowledge when we came before and actually ended our podcast last time with a little um, dialect saying which we had to get translated after the event. <laughs> and that gives us a, a bit of a clue, Mark, as to the subject of today's Country Stride. Oh, we're venturing into the magical world of Cumbrian dialect. And in Jean's company, we have Donald Angus, who we explore Threlkeld with some, uh, ooh, how many episodes ago. A great enthusiast for this wonderful landscape and particularly the dialect. Yeah, we're really lucky here. We've got two of the foremost proponents and speakers of Cumbrian dialect, uh, both leading lights in the Lakeland Dialect Society. And we touch on this fairly frequently in the podcast, don't we, Mark? I mean, you're very interested in place names, as am I. Uh, I love Cumbrian dialect. I don't think either you or I perhaps will ever be able to speak it adequately ourselves. But we're going to talk a little bit about some place names, what they mean. We're going to look at some Cumbrian sayings. We're going to talk about weather, terms for weather. We've also asked each of them to read out a favourite poem or piece of prose. Uh, and we'll talk about how the dialect has, has changed through the ages. Uh, the kind of rise and fall of these terms and how different communities develop different dialects and sayings as well. So there's this really wide and deep seam of fascinating words. This is how people have, in the vernacular, communicated with one another when communities were more insular than they are today. And we'll explore what influences caused the dilution of the language and why it's so important to keep the vernacular going. We're actually going to be recording inside just because there's a slight risk of rain today. So we're going to be welcomed into Jean's house along Shap High Street or the A6, as uh, probably many people know it. Not far from the fish and chip shop. Well, we found our way to Shap, and uh, I've just seen the bus go by on the A6 
through the middle of the village and we're with two wonderful guests who I know our listeners will know from past experience, Gene Scott-Smith and Donald Angus. I'm grateful that you've given us some time today and we've come into Gene's sitting room. I can see a most amazing garden. We are in mid-May and it's full of bluebells. Could you just remind us, Gene, uh, who you are? I'm Jean Scott-Smith. This is my home. I was, this is where I was born. And you told us about all these family connections you have with this area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 500 years plus on my dad's side. Half a millennium. Amazing. And uh, I've been on the committee of the Lakeland Dialect Society for 48 years and I've been their secretary for the last 25. You must have a real handle on the language. And Donald... Yes, I'm Donald Angus, off-comer from Sharp, uh, yes, live in Threlkeld, uh, born and bred in Threlkeld, been interested in dialect most of my life. Well, today's theme is dialect. Jean, could you give me some sense of the origins of the dialect? Well, I think I'll start by telling you what dialect is, that it's actually a regional variation of standard English. It's different in that it's a different accent, idiom and words rather than just a different pronunciation of words. Um, The earliest examples that we probably can pin down are the ones that have got a Celtic association and they are similar to the speech forms in Wales, Cornwall and Brittany. For instance, one of the best examples is the sheep scoring numerals which go from one Twenty. Yan Chan Tether a Mether a Pimp, Sether a Leather a Hover a Dover a Dick, Yan a Dick, Chan a Dick, Tether a Dick, Mether a Dick, Bumfit, Yan a Bumfit, Chan a Bumfit, Tether a Bumfit, Mether a Bumfit, Gigget. So that is the sheep counting terminology that a shepherd counting in his uh, stock into a sheepfold or mm. wherever when he's handling them to get a proper measure, he would use that language. Yes, he would, and it only goes to 20, and uh, often the older states used to refer to the flocks as so many score of sheep. We have other words. Um, We have some of the place name words, places like Pen and Lynn, which is obviously very similar to the Welsh uh, that you'll get in places like uh, Lencoin and places like that. And then Blaine, which means head, which you'll get in Blencathra. And if you think about the Cathar bit, it's a bit like Cederidris. It's the seat. Those are places that have got uh, got the the Celtic names, little short words like Neb for a nose and that sort of thing. Well, we've got a sense of that early Celtic influence. Mm. What was the next phase of influence in the language? There would be a few Anglian settlers. They came in over the Pennines and settled, they were looking for better quality lands, and they left place names that ended in Ingham, Ington, and Tun. And a string of place names along them, Pennine foothills, that are all hams and tuns. And then you got words like fluke for a flatfish, frosk for frog, out for anything, and gavelock for a lever. And those are your Anglian ones, so that's your Anglo-Saxons, if you like. So the name Westmoreland, are those people coming over the Pennines influencing the names? The place name for Westmoreland is actually um, 
taken from the viewpoint from the great kingdom of Northumbria and it's the people of the western moorlands. So West Moringa land actually is the original. Very good, that's intriguing. I didn't quite know that. Well, then we get the greatest influence of all, which is the one you're waiting for, which is the Scandinavian settlers. And this is where I crush the myth of them coming in boats with winged helmets and, <laughs> and battle axes. They came in from Ireland and the Isle of Man as second-generation settlers. And they settled the west coast of Cumberland and Westmoreland and into Furness. And they then gave us a lot of place names um, that were similar to their old homelands um, that they were familiar with. So you got... Those lovely landscape names like Gill, Beck, Fell, Dale, and Thwaite for a clearing, Foss for a waterfall, and Keld for a spring. And that suffix by at the end of a place name, like in Appleby. Uh, can you describe what the each word means, Fell and Dale? Yeah. Fell, Fjall, in the Old Norse, and it means a hill, a mountain. Dale, Dala, for a valley. Um, and then we get the wonderful word thwaite. But if you're local, you don't say thwaite, you say thut. And it means a clearing. And it'll tell you several things. It'll tell you what was cleared, like thornthwaite, bowderthwaite, so there were clearing boulders and thorns. What they were clearing it for, haverthwaite, cornthwaite, applethwaite, what they were going to clear it to use it for. And sometimes... A personal name, like in Finsthwaite. And then you sometimes got a geographic description, like Myerthwaite, which would be somewhere that was muddy. Yes. And Southwaite, which was south-facing. And, and Roundthwaite, which yeah. is Rowan. Rowan, yes it is. Yeah. And the B-Y, like in B-Y. Appleby. Yeah, it's a derivation of the word buyer. And it's, it means a farm. So in the case of Appleby, it was an apple farm. If you're looking at Kirby Thor, it's the church farm belonging to somebody called Thor. And, of course, Keld, which is a significant name locally as well. It is. Well, Keld, I mean, in Threlkeld, the Keld was a watering place yes. or a spring. Yes. It was an assured supply of water, of fresh water. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a place named just a mile from here called Keld. It's just Keld. Yeah. And there's a perpetual spring there that never dries up, summer or winter. It rarely freezes even. Wow. You know. Significant. Uh, this term psych or sick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a very small... It's a drainage channel. Yeah, or a very, very, or or the a very small... beginning of a river when yeah. it first starts to flow, when it comes from its source and it'll start as a trickle and it's a psych to start off with. You know. Places like Sykeside. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Mm. And of course the side bit's interesting there because that comes from the word Seta for a summer shealing, yeah. which is, again, Scandinavian. When they used to summer pasture, they used to go take their, their herds and flocks up onto the high ground and they used to have a summer shelter. And in terms of water, you've mentioned sick. Uh, you've got tarn as well. Yes. That comes from the Old Norse word tion, which means a tear. Isn't that a wonderful description? It is. It's a little drop of water up in the fells, just like a teardrop. And then, of course, we have, we have Mia um, for a lake and the most beautiful place name, what we call Elterwater, Elptavatten. 
Swan Lake, and there's a place in Iceland that actually bears that name today. And it's it's so little changed. But they, really, the old Norse words that we have surviving in our dialect are much closer to present-day Icelandic than modern Norse. Donald, have you a, a particular favourite set of place names that reflect this love of dialect? A lot of them attribute to things like mountains and fields and things like that. But I would think like Weatherlam is a striking one. Mm-hmm. The area, you know, Coniston, mountains around there, Weatherlam. Mm-hmm. A weather being a female sheep yeah. and a lamb, which is obviously a young sheep. So Weatherlam. Mm-hmm. And that's how these words mm-hmm. are really true to Cumbria, really, and true to our dialect. And then you used to have a bellwether. That used to be like the lead sheep. It used to have a bell on it. It used to be out with the rest. And if they could hear the bell, they knew where the sheep were. They Correct. used to say bellwethers, yeah. And there's some great fell names, like, you know, Ray's Helvelin, Jean. Hlofelin. How do you pronounce that? Well, it's almost Welsh, is this. It's like Hlofelin. And it's the hunting ground. Helfer. Yeah, Helfer Flynn, the lake of the hunting ground. Yeah, with the, with the lin on the bottom, which is red tan. There you are. Yeah. What about Hallinfell? Hallinfell? Howlinfell. Right. From the wind. Yeah. And uh, the very striking one on Helvellyn yeah. is Catstikam. Catstikam. Yeah, right. well, it's to do with wildcats. And Stig is like a steep path. Yeah. It's cat bells, too. Yeah, cat bells, yeah. Of course, you had wildcats. And, of course, they give you place names, don't they? Yeah. Mm. And then there's sort of wild animals like wolves and wild boar. Wild boar, yeah. yeah. Grace, I mean, which comes from pig, is yeah. really wild boar, isn't it? Like Grisdale, well, yes, yes. Mungrisdale, mm. Saint Mungo's Valley of the Wild Boar. Yes, that's not right. domesticated pigs. No, 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 no. no. The and wild then boar. you've got like Ullswater and Lord's yeah. Tower and places like that. And you've got Ulf is your Scandinavian wolf. Mm. And then the Threlkeld we've got on the common there, yeah. Wolf Crag. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, we, we'll part that for now for all that that shows that there was quite a diversity of wildlife in the Lake District and Cumbria generally. Mm. Uh, we'll, we'll move over to the climate of Cumbria, Donald. Can you give us something on the weather? Can I do some of the weather? <laughs> well, I could do. Uh, and the thing is, when I worked, for the Lake District National Park as a ranger, I once thought, well, it wouldn't it be a good idea to put the weather forecast up in dialect? <laughs> Much to the disgust of, of course, my employees, the National Park, but I did, and I put on something like this, weather forecast and conditions under hoof. <laughs> right. General remarks, it'll be a gay, clarty morning, with a good showers of yellow water. Then there'll be one or two glisky periods later in the day becoming Lund and given a rocky morning. Wind. Gay strong for Pennines at first, gone round with afternoon, then dropping out. Ah, but temperature. It'll be a top court warmer than yesterday, but enough to starve a gavelic be morning. <laughs> Conditions under hoof. In morning, it'll be gay clarty, making it a slapper's snot. And it'll be going round and scraffling about on brand ground by afternoon. 
and those that they were the wise and who do the wise. We always say that about Cumbrians, don't oh, we? Aye. If there's weather wise, there's no other wise. <laughs> In other words, nobody knows what he's kind of did, do they? No, no, no. A little bit of translation wouldn't go amiss there, Donald. The first time he read that, we absolutely creased up with it. <laughs> <laughs> I can understand. Go on, give us Well, a... yeah, I mean, it says, uh, Gert showers a yal water. Well, yal water means it's raining really heavy. Yeah. Then if we say glisky, Bright periods, yeah. bright periods. Becoming Lund, Lund means calm. Mm. Given a gay rauky morning. Well, rauk is frost. I thought rauk was smoke and mist. Nay, Rhyme, rhymes your frost. It's rauky. <laughs> it's gay oh, well, rauky it this rauky. morning. Well, there was rauk and reek and reeky vick. Anyhow. No, never mind. All right, and what else have we got? <laughs> We've got it's going to be a top court warmer at morning. I mean, that's pretty obvious that it's going to be a warmer day because you've got your top coat. But enough to have a gyavlik. I think that word gyavlik is fantastic. Yeah. Gyavlik being a crowbar, a reliever. Mm. And that's a word that still goes around the Lake yeah. District with farmers today. Mm. I always think that scraffling mm. about, scraffling, Mm. means you're having a job to get there on brant ground. Well, brant is steep. Mm. Is that sort of what sorted it out? I rather have. I, I'm intrigued by this <laughs> other word, scrow. Do you ever use that word? Oh, oh yes, yes. Ah, there's a gay scrow. Yeah. I left a gay scrow at Yam today. In other words, I left a mess. Actually, that's one of the test words. Oh, is because it? Because it's only used in the very northwest of England. Is it? Yeah. It doesn't occur <laughs> in, in Yorkshire, Lancashire and them places. Scrow an untidy mess. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real test word for our dialect. But a lot of words like that, at one time, a lot of these words were used. When I was a child, they were used every day. Mm. I think one of the good ones is a word like late. Yes. Late. I'm going to late something. Yeah, I'm going to seek. It doesn't mean you're late for the bus. It means you're going to get something. You're going to bring something from the shop. You're going to look for something. I'm going to late, yeah. Mm. And lake, you know, we look as lake, everybody thinks a lake is a pool of water. No. Well, a lake is when kids play. That's right. They're going to lake. That's right. You know, and I think that's another word that, uh, mm. you know, we think uh, children today wouldn't know. No, but probably not. In terms of that wonderful uh, weather forecast, uh, what uh, prevented it becoming uh, the, the regular thing? Well, to put it in about three words, that uh, nobody understood it. <laughs> so it no. was only done for a joke, really. Yeah. And I don't think the National Park would have been very happy if I'd put it up like that every uh, weekend, as we used to do in those days. We Saturday. do see these odd ones, like, take care, lambs on road, yes. in dialect. Well, that's we one get things that like that. And the, during lockdown, <laughs> we say, stop CF. Bide at Yam or something like that. That's You'd right. get that sort of... Well, on... that one's still up at Bunnemere, that one. Oh, is it? Tuck uh, Lambs on Road, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, there's one out towards Orton, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Today is quite a humid, cloudy day, but there's sunshine there. How would you describe that, Donald? Well, today it's a little bit cloudy. There's little gleams of sun coming through now and again. And uh, it's a little bit gusty, blowing a little bit. But not our bad. 
don't say about that. I think in your life there aren't such things. Oh, but we used to have better ones. My dad used to say bad weather come out at Muckwall, which was like southwest out of West Little. He used to say, winds in Muckwall will be getting some rain, you know. The the muck hole, in other words. Uh, West Little was always a wet valley anyway, but it's in the southwest, so it's where the the main weather fronts come from. Uh, the prevailing mm. weather. Mm. Yeah. When you hear words like water, which is water, mm. uh, there's a lot of truncating and clipping of words in the dialect, Jean. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we do, in a lot of examples, we would have a long vowel, you know, a sort of long A or a long O sound, you know, like in lal, for small. You'd say lal. Some people spell it L-A-R-L, but you, you can spell it L-A-A-L, lal, you see. You get that sort of thing. And, and gan, if you're going somewhere, gan. It's a long vowels. But what it is really, it's a lazy way of speaking, isn't it, really? Well, yes, it it's is. It's cutting things down. Mm. Like for walthweight, wawait. Yeah. Seaweight. You're knocking the T-H you're, off. You're knocking it off, you're, you're yeah. cutting it down. It, yeah. It's a lazy yeah. way, really, of talking. I think words like gan, as gan yam, or as yeah. gan to skill. Yeah. You know, going, but it's cut short, it's pronounced different. And I always think words like outgang. Yes. Mm. First time I went to Norway and I went on the station at Bergen, in Bergen. It I was a one. sign. Sign, outgang, yeah. way out. Way out. So, you know, the words are still there and they still can be understood in a lot of our Scandinavian yeah. countries. Oh, All our right. pronunciation has changed. It's still there, though. When you've got place names, quite long place names, frequently they are clipped and abbreviated down to something like Douthwaite Head. What's that cut down to? Douthwaite Head. Douthwaite Head. No doubt. Douthwaite yeah, That would be it. Because, I mean, okay. if we live here and we go down... The nearest town, Penrith, and we'd say Pereth. Pereth, yeah. Pereth is Pereth. Pereth, yeah. Right. And they call Carlisle Kerl. Carlisle, uh, the actual history of it is, it's Kerluel, and it, it was actually the fort belonging to Luel, who, who was a Celtic, well, chieftain, I suppose. Yeah. And it kept that name more or less with little change during the Roman period and then went back to it because it was Lugavallum <coughs> during the Roman period. But that's a period that didn't really affect our dialect, is the mm. Roman period. Mm. We didn't pick anything much up at all. They didn't leave much behind. We have some words here where the uh, spelling and the pronunciation are quite distinct. So we have places like Blennerhasset, Jean. Blennerhasset. What would you say, Donald, to Blennerhasset? I would call it Blennerhasset. Right. Uh, Torpenhow. Trepenna. Trepenna. Oh, you're both on Trepenna. What does it mean? Hill, hill, hill. All Celtic names for a hill. hill. Well, you've got, you've got the Celtic pen. Yeah. Tor. Is also Celtic because it's Cornish. And how is a, a, a Viking. Yeah. yeah. So you've got Celtic and Viking. Yeah, but so it all means hill. Three yeah, hills. Uh, Setma Banning, there's a good one. Always known locally as Bannian. And does that refer to the pasture? I was once told, and I don't know if this is true, that Setma Banning means the seventh camp. Your set is your seta, like your summer shielding, so it's a movable camp. Yeah. Yeah. Grey Southern. Grey Southern. Grey Southern. Grey Southern. Expatria. 
Spiatri. Spiatria. Spiatri. Aye. It's it's St. Patrick's Ashtray. Ah, you got that's what he used to shout on train, wasn't it? Spiatria Lauboat. Yeah. Bothell. Bull. 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 No, I'm doing that. Got out with Bothell. What does that mean then? Brothel. <laughs> no! Let's have, a, let's have a look at the verse. There's no R in it. <laughs> we'll move on a little bit further into nature, trees and animals, Donald. Can you give me a lead in on that one? Oh, there's some good ones. There is. You know, when you think, look at birds. Hmm. A Jimmy Crane. Hmm. A Jimmy Crane hmm. is a heron. Hmm. And how about them Lyle Dippers? Hmm. A Bessie Duca. What a lovely name in dialect for a bird that keeps going underwater yes, like that, right. a Bessie yeah. Duca. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of animals. What have we got in animals? Oh, a Maudiwa. Maudiwa. That is absolutely Germanic because it's Moldvarp, it is the earth mover. <laughs> is that right? Do you know, know. Uh, yeah, it's the mover of earth. Uh, and my youngest grandson, when he was. Oh, I was just learning to talk. One of the first words he could say was Maudi because he'd been out with his granddad catching them. Aye, Maudi waps. Yeah, what we're talking about is the dear little fluffy little mole. Now, what about an urchin? Urchin? An urchin. urchin's a hedgehog. A hedgehog, aye. Yeah. A spiky-sacked urchin, a dander, on legs of wrinkled leather. And another one that's a real hark back to the Germanic is Flittermoose. Deflatermouse, the bat. Uh, and we call them Flittermoose. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. We have a place named near here called Badgerwath, oh, and yeah. that would be a, a ford where there was badgers, yeah. you know. And Brock is another Brock. Brock is, Brock is, aye. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's why you get Brock all in spots like that. That's then. right. And you've yes. got a Todd for a fox? Todd for a fox, yeah. yes. Con for a red squirrel. That's why you get Coniston. Well, I didn't know that. Is that right? Uh-huh. Terms for trees are all interesting, like the oak tree. What would that be? Yak. Mm. Oh. Yak tree. Yeah. Oh, there used to be a Jack's yak in Low the Park. It's tumbled down. It tumbled down. It was rotten and it tumbled down. <laughs> Any other trees we can what think else of? We... Elder is Ella. Ella. And Ash is Ash. And Holly? Hollins. And, Holly. and that crops up in place names and it, it was often planted beside... Uh, farms, places where the travellers like the packmen and the drovers could find uh, rest and refreshment because they were illiterate, but a holly keeps its leaves all year round, so it was always recognisable. So Hollins as a place name indicates that those were probably places that offered hospitality at one time. Dog rose. Dog rose, aye. Well, Well, the fruit of the dog rose is a tube. A tube. A tube. A pipe tube. Yeah. Why do they call it a pipe tube? Well, I don't know. Because he used to make loud pipes out of it. I didn't When know. I was a oh, kid, yes. my father used to smoke a pipe. Yeah. And when I went out for a walk, you know, a little fella, he would get all of a, a rose hip, as they are, mm. cut it in two, take seeds out, put seeds off a rush mm. into it, and stick the rush into the bottom and make me a loud pipe. All right. I used yeah. to make candles from, from rushes. Sieves, so, Yeah, sieves. Rush cannel. Yeah, they were rush lights. Rush cannels. You had to burn them at a 45-degree angle. 
And you had a thing with, like, nippers on that a, held them. A rush over. Because they wouldn't burn straight up, you see. No. And if you bent them in half and did both ends, that's burning your candle at both ends. True. You used to tip them up. That's how you adjusted your flame, didn't you? Yeah. Straighter up it was, less flame. Mm. More you put it down and faster it burned yeah. and better flame. And they used to daub reshes in, uh, well, tallow. Sheep I've made fat. them. Sheep mm. fat. Mm. I've made them, yeah. Yeah. That's interesting, Tom. isn't it? If you go to Skidder House, as we did on one of our podcasts, you go past Candlesieve's Bog. Bog. <laughs> That's right. I wish in, I mean, was was quite a thing, wasn't it? It was. In the old days. Oh, and, right. and ironing as well. Yeah, well, you washed one day and you ironed next day. And then when you ironed, <coughs> you had one of them irons that you put in fire. And then you put it in and you ironed and you'd have another one heating up. And uh, I actually used mine in the 1970s when they had the winter of discontent and we had all them power cuts. And uh, I was a, a young mother and I thought, oh, get old iron out. And one of my neighbours said, it's no good, I've never been, I haven't been able to do any ironing. I said, oh, I did my ironing yesterday. What, we had a power cut? I said, I know. <laughs> <coughs> but my mother, she had a petrol iron. How about that? You think you're using a petrol iron. <laughs> It was a mobile bomb, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, it was when you think that she used to pump air into it, into the top of the little tank. You had a yes. cylindrical tank on top. Mm. Well, heck. You could only get it wrong once. It could have blown up. I've never watched her iron if I'd known what it was, wouldn't I? <laughs> Good Lord. Is. But I remember my mother getting first uh, first electric iron and he had to plug it into In the, the electric light heart. socket <laughs> into ceiling and she dropped the blooming thing off the edge of table and it fetched out fitting down out of the ceiling oh dear now when you folk uh, gather together you greet one another and of course occasionally you fall out uh, Jean how would you greet uh, Donald on a good day who's to going on daily well how's he sell good fettle aye not too bad could you explain what you meant there Jean who's to going on how are you going on how are you Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Donald? Gaily whale, very well. And I'd said, in good fettle. So good fettle. In good good in health. Good health, yeah. Mm. And when it comes to that rich vein of insults that humanity is famous for, how does a Cumbrian get to grips with one another? Well, What's fetched to- a good lump like thee to me, Hoose? Well, they was talking a load of waffle, that's, that's what they was talking. There was a Belderskite as well. That's about a skite. Why? Oh, I don't think I is. Ah, when boil your head. <laughs> <laughs> boil your head. Boil your head. Translation. Whatever have you turned up at my house for? And I said, you're about a skite to know. So that's a chatterbox. So. A chatterbox. Oh, about a skite. A bladder skite. A bladder skite. That's right. Chatterbox. That sounds better. Aye. I understand that. Distinct corners of Cumbria have held on to their dialect terminology because they're insular and because they operated within a a distinct activity. And I I think of uh, Longtown or I think of Workington on the West Coast Mm. there where you had a working mate known as a Mara, for example. That really goes back to the mining, doesn't it? Mm. That's Mm. why West Cumbria, although mining has finished long ago, Mm. that it still holds on to that 
dialect, which yes. is a pertaining to mining, a lot of it, isn't it? It is. And a mara is your mate. I mean, a it mate. might be a mate outside, but it would be a mate in the pit. They use it over in Northumberland as well, but that could be the mining link again. Yeah. You know. You had a mate, basically, to look after yourself. You were protecting one another yeah. in a hostile yeah. environment. But you still know. used in the streets of working in a white haven. Oh, I'm right. a, yeah. You'll see somebody going like, I'm yeah. a... Yeah. And when you went down the mine, you'd take your bait. Take your oh, bait. yes. Oh, you took your bait when you worked in quarries and all. Uh, and bait meaning your snack. Your, your snack, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your packed lunch, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh. Uh, over the years, people have... Uh, instinctively being curious enough with the names to actually gather them together into, mm. into dictionaries. I know of the Dickinson one. Can you explain yeah. that to us, Jean? Well, William Dickinson, well, he lived at Thorncroft, Workington, and this copy is dated August 1877. He obviously realised that there was a threat to dialect and decided that he would, he would gather them, talk to all his neighbours and friends and collect words. Um... And then I've got a Robert Ferguson, and then absolutely glorious book by a chap called Brigham Kirby called Lakeland Words. And he did a second one to it that was called Westmoreland in Words, which really is very localised around this area, out towards Orton and Kirby Stephen, round Eamon Bridge. And uh, he, he gives you words, he gives you little stories, and then he gives you what he calls his granite clints or quints, you know, as Blake as May Butter and things like that, little sayings that we used to have, you know. Blake as... Uh, Blake as May Butter. Well, Blake isn't pale. It's pale. So your May Butter isn't as deep as the summer butter when there's more forage for the yeah. animals and the butter is a deeper yellow as it goes through the season. Was there a sort of a mm. momentum that caused people yeah. to, to really get their grip recording these names? I think that one of the things that pushed it was the comings of the railways, which was mm. the mid 1800s. So our railway here opened in 1846. The navvies had been in the area from 1844. So you're looking at that mid-19th century period. The railways are coming, people are able to travel further afield, move around more. Whereas before that, you lived in Shap. You maybe get as far as Penrith. If you were lucky, you maybe got over fell to Kendall. But you tended to stay in your locality a lot more. Now suddenly, the world was the royster in effect, or the country was. Yeah. And... This was what started to impact on dialects because people from other places were coming in and they were using their words and our people were picking them up and vice versa, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that was probably one of the reasons these, these things started. And you're looking at 1870s when the Industrial Revolution was coming along and the railways and all this. You, you touched on the railways coming, mm. which clearly will have affected and diluted language because mm. it brought in so many different accents and languages from different parts of the country. Mm. Uh, what other factors do you identify? Well, I think the First World War had a huge impact. The war? First World War. I found national service. Yeah. When people were doing national service. Yeah. First time I left home, really, for any time, was my national service. Mm. And I'll never forget it. And I went down to Aldershot and then finished up all over the place. But, and I, I got nicknamed Yance. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. They said, he's Yance. 
because I met a bloke from working. I said, hey, I was to the end. He said, hey, I've never seen me before. Where's the comfort of says, And he was talking. I said, Jans, I went to work it. And from that day on, <laughs> you were Jans. I was called Jans. Once you do your national service, you're meeting people with other accents. Uh, and that's what changes it. Also, because you're leaving the area, you're meeting people, you can't speak in dialect no. because they do not understand that's you. Right. And that's where you start to lose your dying sect mm. to a certain degree. But getting back to this thing of later, when I became a ranger, when I, I left forestry and went in, I was then meeting visitors, I was talking, I was giving talks and lectures and things mm. like that. Mm. Therefore, you couldn't talk in dialect. No. And that's where you start to lose yeah. your dialect. Yeah. Before that, everything was dialect. You talked. Yes. Yes. You know, you talked to the farmers, you talked to your family, right. you talked to people, and you talked in dialect. Yeah. And that's why dialect has gone today. Because, you see, in these valleys today, we have a very small percentage of people who are left who are local, born and bred. True. So because of that... Yes. You can't speak to them in dialect. That's right. Yeah, see, when you said about national service, I was going to say the First World War because you got well, young men started, going and yeah. they were going and mixing with other young yeah. men from other places during the war and that would have impact on the dialect. Of course, what Donald was talking about was very similar yeah. at a slightly later period. But the comings of radios, people getting a wireless, Yeah. you then heard people speaking King's English with a plummy voice, yeah. and, and everybody was trying to ape that because they thought it was the right way to speak, didn't they? Mm. In the early days of tourism, you have uh, correspondents there and poets, such as Wordsworth, yeah. who uh, were partially using dialect but were actually reaching out to the visitor in their use of language. But mm. they were of the upper echelon. They were the rather better... People. That's what tourism was in the early days, oh, wasn't yes. it? It was only the people who had the money to spend to come on a holiday. I mean, the general peasants of the country didn't uh, have a holiday. Unless there were servants of these big people, of, and then they tagged along. And then they tagged along. <laughs> like, you know. Entourage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they built a lot of those big houses round Windermere and Keswick. These were all the industrialists coming yeah. out to places like Lancashire. Yeah. Yeah. But Wordsworth, it's always one of these things that I always say. Why? He was born in Cockermouth, he spent some of his childhood in Penrith, and Hawke said, why doesn't he use dialect? I mean, especially that poem about Michael. I mean, he yeah. was a Lakeland shepherd, for goodness sake. I actually am part of a group, a writer's group, that work under the umbrella of Wordsworth Trust, so I often throw this one out. The, the answer is, well, he was... It was actually gearing towards his audience. Yeah, he, the his patrons, yeah. almost. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm sure. But his sister writes in a more dialect way in her diaries. Ah. Mm -hmm. And she said, I was right glad about something, you know, which is the way we'd say, we were each set up about something, and she writes, she was right glad. So she's writing in a more vernacular way yes. in her diaries. One of the fascinating things is, in human life, we all suffer from ailments, and we haven't really touched on that. And uh, it, there must be dialect uh, language that goes very much with this. 
Donald. Well, there were various things and various rather strange ways of curing illnesses, or so they thought. I mean, if someone was bleeding, you didn't go for a bandage. You got a cobweb yes. and put a cobweb over it, and yeah. the cobweb would help the blood to congeal. Yeah. Oh, that's absolutely true. And wound dressings. Well, right up to the last war, they were using sphagnum moss. Oh, absolutely. For wound dressings, because yeah. sphagnum moss is not only absorbent, it has an antiseptic quality. That's right. Yeah, that's So, this type of thing. Stomach upset. Now, I always think, you know, this is a good one. Tormentil, a little flower. Yeah, that's right. Tormental. Mm. You would boil some of that, yeah. drink the liquid, yeah. and that would cure all sorts of things. <laughs> you know, anything. Yeah. And I always think, Chilblains, you know. Oh, The yes. cure for chilblains. I mean, there uh, were numerous covers of that. I mean, yeah. rubbing an onion on your foot. Yeah. I always remember I was a twin and with my brother and we used to sleep in the same room and he used to have chilblains and the blooming onion smell, you know. <laughs> Ooh, hey. Did you never get your feet dipped into don't gas in, under? Used to guide gas under. Stick the foot in pot, lad, that'll cure it. And another one, of course... Uh, was to run in the snow. Yeah, oh, God, that hurt. I remember my father used to <laughs> lift him over the fence at the bottom of the garden and say, run down there in the snow in your bare feet. it did hurt, though. Blew me out. God. And, you know, there were cures. Yeah. Yeah, and then how about toothache? Yeah. Rubbing. Yeah. The brains of a hen. Hen, On your teeth. Or <laughs> some wood off a gibbet. A gibbet, that's aye. another an eye. That's a gibbet? Right. Yeah. Hanging gibbet. Yeah. Wow. But yeah. If you, for headaches, you, you chewed willow leaves, didn't you? Willow bark. Yeah. And that's acetyl salicylic acid, which is part yeah. of aspirin. There were just a few that I have scribbled down on oh, there. Oh, there's a lot. There's all sorts. And passing, passing uh, children under the belly of a belly donkey. Belly of a horse. Know. Sitting them backwards on a aye, horse. Aye, aye. Mm. And letting them fart in your air face to cure with the hooping cough, wasn't it? Aye, I think so. Thank <laughs> you. That would cure a lot of things, I'd imagine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this has been absolutely revolutionary just listening to all this. Why does it matter that we keep on to dialect? Why, what's so important about it, Jean? Well... I consider it to be an absolutely imperative part of our identity, cultural identity. That's what it is. It's identity. There is no surer way than identifying someone by the dialect. It doesn't matter whether they're Cumbrian, whether they're a Scouse, whether they come from Northumbria, Lancashire, Cornwall, Devon Mm. or whatever. That will identify their true place of origin. Absolutely. And you quite often will get picked up and I had one incident, I went to the Isle of Man, we went to Isle of Man, day before we were coming home, we went across to Peel, and I said, oh, I said, where are the smokers? I said, well, get some kippers to take home. I went to the counter, and I said, well, I'll have so many pair of them, and some of that. And how near Kendall do you live? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My dad lives at Burnyside, you know, and, and somewhat similar when I went to Russian Abbey, same holiday, hot day, a bit like this May, and I said, oh, I said, well, go and have a look around here. And I got out at Cairn, and this fellow said, I'm just closing. I said, well, never mind that. I said, I just want a couple of ice creams. He said, he says, yeah, for a cumbri, ask for a spiatri. Uh, you know, and uh, it, it's just like that. You Suddenly you've made a friend. That is true. And I, I can remember once being in, a, I think it was a theatre or somewhere, mm. and it was interval, and I was talking 
mm. in dialect, uh, whoever I was with, mm. and somebody behind me said, I know where thou comes from. <laughs> I know. You do get that sort of comment, don't yeah. you? Yeah. The sense of roots, the sense of place. Absolutely. The sense of belonging. It gives you a feeling, doesn't it, also, mm. when you've got people like that, that that dialect does mean something. That's right. Yeah. In actual fact, what they are often picking up isn't so much dialect, but the way you're pronouncing your words. Yeah. You're not probably using anything particularly broad, but it's your accent and the way you pronounce your yeah. words, your flat vowels. Well, this is the difference between dialect and an accent, accent, isn't it? And my adage is that with dialect, you can't speak dialect without an accent. You can speak English with an accent, but you can't speak dialect without an accent. And if you get somebody trying to speak dialect and they haven't got the accent, it just sounds daft. It does, yeah. Mm. The one commonality between you two, apart from your dialect, is, of course, you're both involved with the Lakeland Dialect Society. And, Jean, what's your role? I'm the Honorary Secretary... And at the moment, I'm acting treasurer and all. <laughs> I think you mentioned right at the beginning you've been involved with it for quite a while. 48 years. My goodness mm. me. What does society do? The main aim is to preserve dialect in several means, both uh, in the spoken word, which is the best and best way of, of uh, sharing your dialect is the oral tradition, but in writing and tape recordings and plays and all sorts of things like that, but promoting it uh, in general to try and get it in amongst the younger people, obviously, now, which is why the Young Farmers Clubs are involved, because they're the right social group. We should try to get younger people into this society. That is the only way it will survive. And I have put out a challenge, really, to members of the society. If everybody in that society can get at least one person under the age of 40 or even 50 into the society, it will survive. Mm. If it doesn't, then it is a very difficult one. Mm. And all I won't be in another 50 years. Mm, we just either. wonder what will happen to it. And I would hate to see it went. How do people follow up if they want to know more about the society? Well, we have got a website which is www.lakelanddialectsociety.co.uk, which will give you details of who to contact. Um, We only meet four times a year, and then we'll have a service in the summer or an out in the summer. And this year we're hosting the National Dialect Festival at Shapwells at the end of October. Now we're winding up towards the end of this... Have you got a bit of prose or poem that you particularly love? And Jean, can you identify one and uh, what, who wrote it and so forth? Well, it's a poem. It's called It's Nobbit Me. It was written by John Richardson, who was from Naddle, St John's in the Vale. He lived between 1817 and 1886. Now, at that period, there were no, well, hardly any women that were writing dialect. But he wrote this from a woman's point of view, and that's why it's my, well, I could call it my party piece. Yeah, winter's neat, and mind it well, our lads had been at fell, and being tired, went sheen to bed, and I sat by myself. I had a jike on windowpane, and deftly went to sea, and when I said, where's jike in there, says chap, 
It's nobbit me. Where's me, says I? What want you here? Who oh, a forker or in bed? I do not want your fork at all. It's thee I want, he said. What can't you want with me, says I? And where the juice can be? Just tell me where it is and then, says he. It's nobbit me. I want a sweetheart, and I thought thou may be what and all. I've been a bit down dales and eat and thought that I would go. What can't I like but dost to think? I think I would like thee. I don't know where it is, says I. Says he, it's nobbit me. We pested on a canny while. I thought his voice I kenned, and then I stelt quite wished away and out at door I went. I crept and got him bit caught laps. It was dark, he couldn't see. He started round and said, where's that? Says I, it's nobbit me. And many a time he come again, and many a time I went and said, where's that that's jiking there when gaily wheel I kent? And many a time he come again, and many a time I went, and said, where's that that's jiking there when gaily wheel I kent? And mainly what same answer come fret back at lilac tree. He said, I think thou kens where it is, thou knows it's nobbit me. It's twenty year and messin' then, and ups and downs we've had, and six fine bairns have blessed us birth since Jim and me were wed. And many a time I've kent him still, when I dian on me knee, to mark my start, and then would laugh, ha ha, it's nobbit me. Magic. A grand. Magic. <clears throat> And, and Donald, can you match that? No. Yes. <laughs> yes. Never. Can. No, I can't. Uh, but I would like to just read one from uh, Tommy Coulthard. Tommy is our president. He was chairman for ten years, and uh, it's called the Dawn Chorus. Ooh, yes. uh, now, I like this one because it does give you a sense of the countryside and the area where we live. And it goes somewhat like this. It's a funny spot in this old world, but what a grand spot to be when Throstle sings his heart out at top of Dolly Actory and Blackie up on electric power sticks out his chest and sings just to fetch another day or birds or stretch their wings. I wakened up just to the morn "'Twas just about quarter to four. "'I gets myself scraffle out of bed "'and stood at our back door. "'I listened with simple thankfulness. "'Dawn chorus sang, and I'll tell you this, "'there's near composer can match that merry throng. "'I stood there in my night clears, "'and morning was warm and still, "'and I listened till all our feathered friends "'up on woody deal. There were a scoppy and a wobbler, a pigeon and a crow, and a lalwee chitty wren, and a cheeky sparrow up on spout were chittering now and again. There were all their throngs staking their claim till a bitter countryside, and every bird, both big and small, was singing far and wide. I wonder why they all start to sing when darkness starts to wane. It's nabbit for half an hour, I see. Then all goes quiet again. I thought to myself how lucky I was to stand and listen there, cos some folk travel far and wide 
but never dawn caught us here. You can keep your sunny Mallorca and your villas out in Spian. Just give me all them feathered friends and their chorus again and again. Well, at this stage, I normally say journey's end, but the journey we've made really has been through time, hasn't it, Mark? And just this wonderful cornucopia of um, dialect words and sayings and vocabulary. Fabulous. Yeah, fabulous. Our guests, they respond to one another with such enthusiasm and delight. It's, it's just lovely to be in their company. Uh, it was kind of hard to get a word in edgeways. <laughs> I love that. Great fun, important. It's easy to be flippant about these things, but keeping the dialect going is is crucially important, isn't it, really? There's so much in there about the history and the heritage and the culture of this place that gets lost when you lose some of these terms, Mm. um, which was one of the really interesting things that came out of today. Right, well, we've had some correspondence, Mark, and in fact, it's very timely, not only because of what we've been speaking about today, but also... Uh, recent political shenanigans Um, so this is Dave Wally who wrote to us with the subject line County Changes and he says hello I wish to thank you for your country stride episodes they're always very interesting to listen to including your latest walking around Coniston with Arthur Ransom's Swallows and Amazons you mentioned the story set in Cumbria which left me thinking that all this occurred while the area was still part of Lancashire. Now remember, Dave says, Cumbria was formed when the three counties were merged into one larger county in 1974, just 50 years ago, not a long period of time when you consider the history of the area, but now, with the presumed wisdom of government, we are reverting back to Cumberland and Westmoreland, with no mention of Lancashire in that arrangement. So now, will that mean that Cumbria ceases to exist as everyone's stationery is reprinted and websites modified until a time in the future when some bright spark in government decides to rearrange the county boundaries once more? While I now reside in Cumbria, I was born in Lancashire, so wish to keep the county palatine in people's memory. In fact, my mother was born in Lancashire. Right. So, uh, although all her roots were Yorkshire, uh, you immediately identify with where you're born. Well, thanks, Dave. Uh, I don't think we ever forget, do we, really? We use Cumbria as a shorthand often, even when we're talking about historical counties, because I think it would just get a bit confusing if we didn't. Indeed. And in fact, the name Cumbria is a very old one anyway. So it'll always have a purpose in this landscape, no matter what political changes take place. And in fact, interesting what Jean said earlier on about Westmoreland. I didn't know that uh, approach to how it came about. Okay, um, so this is episode number... Uh, 81. So episode number 81, for all previous 80 episodes, www.countrystride.co.uk. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so in one of three ways. You can recommend it to like-minded friends or family. You can buy one of a growing family of walking guidebooks. Uh, We've got the Threlkeld Walking Companion, the Oldswater Walking Companion, the Oldswater Way Official Guide, and... Currently I'm working on the Ambleside Walking Companion, but that won't be coming out until the autumn. 
Yeah, very much looking forward to that. They're selling well. We've had a lot of really nice feedback. So if you want a, a collection of fabulous new walks with a load of commentary like these Country Stride episodes, then www.countrystride.co.uk. The third and final way you can support us, we have a Patreon account. So for as little as £2 a month, which is probably less than the price of a Shap Chippy, uh, you can support us and just pay a little bit towards our petrol costs and the editing costs and that kind of thing. Uh, we'd like to say a big thanks in the last few weeks to Nicola Barbatano, Ollie Brown, Mike Killingly, who actually dedicated some money about four months ago and I've left him off the list. Finally, we should just say that we've had a couple of episodes where they've been three weeks between them. Mm. Uh, this is because I've been working on a, a very large Cumbrian project which will hopefully come to light in a few months and we'll um, talk about it on Country Stride. But we're back to normal now, Mark. We're back to fortnightly, so thanks for bearing with us. <laughs> we don't often uh, give ourselves time off, but it's been slightly necessary. <laughs> but we're back to normal, so yeah, Kirby Lonsdale next, and then off to Kendall to do a bit of walling for Brilliant. Us. Brilliant. Oh, I can't wait. But for now, and from Shap, and from uh, actually an afternoon that's turning really rather lovely, we're saying goodbye and see you next time. Well, you were asking me about blether. Well, a blether skate's somebody that's a chatterbox. Ah, there was a bit of a blether skate. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking offence at that. No, it's all right. No, it's all right. <laughs>